Hello and welcome to A New African Mind, a podcast that focuses on reshaping our views on mental health as Africans. I'm your host, Petrina Dusay, and you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as MBS Care. I often share helpful tools and tips on mental health. Today, my voice may sound um, quite nasal because I am recovering from some congestion. I tested positive for COVID, um, felt ill for a short period, and then um, it's basically just been the congestion that I'm trying to clear. So COVID is real. Um, please take it seriously. Understand that not everybody will react to it in a similar manner and that for most of us, our recovery rate or our ability to deal with this illness may be quite high. However, some of us have friends, family, co-workers who are immunocompromised, who have underlying health issues that make them more susceptible to struggling with COVID significantly. So let's be mindful, let's be considerate in how we conduct ourselves in this period. All right. So today I want to talk about trauma. Trauma is a word that most of us are familiar with, that we've heard of, and possibly have experienced ourselves. So what is trauma? Trauma basically is the result or the effect of a traumatic event. And what is a traumatic event? It's one that usually requires a significant amount of resources to help bring the body back to equilibrium, right? So what do I mean by this? Whenever we experience unexpected, unpleasant events, um, so for instance, a sudden loud sound, or suddenly you kick your toe against something, immediately there's some level of shock, there's a, some level of discomfort, and sometimes some injury. But for most of these things, as time goes on, we're able to bring ourselves back to normal. And I'm using normal in quotes. So for instance, if the loud sound startles you, you're able to recalibrate and realize that, okay, this is just a passing sound. If you stub your small toe on something and it's extremely painful and you yell and you scream and you swear or you just hold on to it because the pain is like so unbearable, eventually we know it'll pass. However, when it comes to a traumatic event, the different tools that we have, the different coping tools we have on a daily basis are usually not enough to take us through this event because this event has caused such significant injury to us emotionally, psychologically, and or physically that our usual coping tools are like nothing in comparison to what is needed to get through these things, right? So again, that is really what defines an event that is traumatic. It means that with this particular event, the coping tools that we have, the resources that we're able to gather to be able to rebalance ourselves or calm ourselves down don't work. So what are examples of traumatic events? Assault, physical, sexual assault, definitely this is at the top of the list. Um, people who have been in war before, people who have grown up in rough neighborhoods, people who are victims of bullying. If you've experienced corporal punishment repeatedly over and over again at home or in school, and then there's sexual abuse, there's rape, and this can range from experiencing it through a coworker, a superior, a family member, a friend. I'll be doing an entire episode on sexual abuse and explain a lot of the things about sexual abuse that most of us don't understand. I'll answer some questions that I've received in the past and I'll also share tips on how to navigate being a victim of sexual abuse. But for now, let's come back to trauma as a broad topic. 
I just want to chip in here about the African context, because remember, this podcast is specifically aimed as us as Africans. Um, our sense of togetherness is such a great thing. It's one of the things that makes us who we are. We have a collectivistic nature, um, the tendency to do things like a family. This is all good and well. Because of this togetherness, some of us have been able to come through very difficult times because some cousin somewhere, some aunt or uncle, your friend's parents will chip in to help you out. A great sense of community. At the same time, there's a downside to this because we have a general tendency to want things to look a certain way, to want things to look like everything is okay. This togetherness can be detrimental to situations where people experience trauma with specific emphasis on sexual abuse or sexual assault. I always joke that we've perfected the art of hypocrisy. And what I mean by that is we have this hushed manner in which we handle such issues, these sort of taboo topics, if you will. So if someone is to come out to say that I've been the victim of ABCD, okay, we'll handle it as a family. Don't tell anyone. Keep quiet about it, you know, and it's handled on the down low. And most of the time it's not handled appropriately. Sometimes what happens is that the victim ends up being shamed because it's it's too much for the family to bear. Oh, what were you doing there? What were you wearing? Are you sure you're telling the truth? And sometimes a religious aspect also sets in where it's, let's pray about it. Let's ask God to help us deal with this difficult situation. And sometimes families are paid large sums of money so that perpetrators don't see any jail time. So I'm saying this to say that let's use our sense of community to rather do the right thing as opposed to hush things and keep it quiet and keep it silent. And, and I know there are people who are listening to me who are victims of abuse or some kind of traumatic event that was too embarrassing for the family to let out. So it was handled quietly and sometimes never even spoken about ever again, almost as though it never happened. I'm sorry this was your experience. I truly hope that when and if you decide to have a family of your own, you'll be mindful of not repeating such a cycle. A second type of traumatic event can be loss. And loss can range from losing the life of a loved one, losing a job, losing a car, losing money, losing a relationship. Oh, those heartbreaks, my goodness, they can be very traumatic. You can't concentrate, like heartbreaks are tough. But yeah, loss of something or someone very significant can be traumatizing. Another example is the near-death experience. So for some people, it could be a kidnapping. It could be being held at gunpoint. It could be a near-drowning, car accident, sometimes even a traumatic labor experience, chronic illness as well. For instance, people with sickle cell disease, what tends to happen is that from time to time, they may experience what we call a crisis where they become knocked down and they're literally fighting for their lives. And the unfortunate thing is that you almost never know exactly when it's going to come. So living that way can be traumatic. And finally, another example I want to give is secondary trauma, a secondary traumatic event, which is witnessing someone else's trauma. So a typical case in point is what happened with George Floyd. I know people all around the world who needed to talk about it in therapy after watching what happened to him. And frankly, I haven't till date watched that video because just the thought of it alone 
is traumatizing for me. And that's very legitimate. You don't have to be the victim of direct trauma to find something traumatic. You don't have to downplay your experience of a situation because it wasn't done directly to you. So before I go into the effects of trauma and the symptoms and what it looks like, I want to give you this piece of very useful information. When a person goes through a traumatic event, their brain chemistry changes. The way the person's brain processes threats and other situations in life is not going to be the same as someone who has not experienced trauma. This is very important to know if you are the victim of trauma or if you know someone who has experienced trauma. Your brains will not function the same way. So sometimes we make certain comments about mental health. Just get over it. Oh, this person went through it and they're okay. No one sees the processes that happen beneath the surface. And people cope differently. So one person's manifestation of trauma will not look like another person's. And it doesn't mean one person's trauma is more severe than the other's. I'll give an example about this. I won't go into mentioning, you know, the, all the technical terms about what happens, but there are places in the brain that are responsible for processing of fear and threats. Now, when you experience a traumatic event, it's often unexpected, almost always unexpected. And it shakes your brain to the core. You see, your brain's primary function is to preserve the mechanism that it exists in right? It's for survival. So everything your brain does is geared towards preserving your life. Now, if an event takes place that's traumatic, it's a threat to the brain's housing unit or housing system. And so now it thinks, what can I do to make sure that this person is preserved? And this happens at, at a very unconscious level. So after this traumatic event, now the brain learns to be on high alert, to process even very benign things as threatening because it has to be on guard. It has to make sure that it doesn't allow that thing to happen again. And sometimes for most people who have experienced trauma, being able to bring themselves back to normal, back to a calm state, right? To get their stress hormones back to a level that is optimal for day-to-day -day functioning is very difficult. Because you never know when you're going to need those stress hormones to kick in to help you to be able to navigate that situation. So if you recall, in the episode called A New Mind About Stress, I talked about the fight or flight response and how it's a survival mechanism. And when it comes to trauma, this thing kicks in and is almost always active. So this leads into the effects of trauma or the symptoms of trauma. So because this is almost always active, a person becomes hypervigilant. They're always on edge, always aware, always waiting for someone to attack. And we might know people like that, where everything that is said, you have to be extra careful what you say. Otherwise, they'll think that what you're saying is meant to harm them or what you're doing is meant to harm them. And we look at people like that and we often think, ah, this person is some whale. But usually, I'm not saying it's always the case, but usually there's a backstory. And I'm also not saying that you should excuse that behavior if it's impacting you negatively, but I'm just trying to give you another perspective on what might cause a person to behave this way. So when it comes to clinical terms, we have what we call the acute stress response, which is the same as PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder. The only difference is the acute stress response is expected two weeks after the traumatic event. And if the symptoms last longer than that, then it's, it's diagnosed as PTSD. Now, 
PTSD is usually a response to a specific traumatic event. So we experience the symptoms is because we know that this specific thing happened. Complex PTSD usually occurs when a person has experienced one or multiple types of traumatic events over a long period of time. So this is very common with long-term abuse, long-term neglect. This is very common in our societies because of the hushing behavior. So people can go years um, being physically and or sexually abused or witnessing that happen to someone else. Long-term verbal abuse as well is quite traumatic and has long-term injurious effect on a person. So as I mentioned before, when a person becomes hypervigilant, they become highly irritable and even angry because they are constantly dealing with all these uncontrollable emotions and impulses and there's nothing they can seem to do about it. Anxiety builds because you never know when the next event is going to happen. You never know when you're going to be traumatized again. Or anxiety because you can predict that I'm going to be subjected to this thing again. And there's nothing I can do about it. It can lead to the person lashing out so people can in turn become verbally abusive themselves or physically abusive themselves. Flashbacks are a very big one where you have uncontrollable flashbacks of the the experiences that you have. So you could be in the middle of having lunch with a friend and the event will just flash back in your head. Nightmares are very common as well. Night terrors, insomnia, obviously, it goes without saying. When a person goes through something traumatic, again, as I said, it can shake them to the core so much that they don't know what to do with what's going on with them. So they'll withdraw or they become extremely quiet. This happens a lot with kids. Um, and then going into a depressive state, especially because of this idea that there's nothing they can do about what their experience is. Substance use and abuse. Sometimes people will need to take sleeping pills and end up becoming addicted to them because they can't sleep without the sleeping pills. Consistently needing medication to relax, use of alcohol, marijuana, and other drugs in order to be able to keep themselves calm. Sometimes there's numbing where it's as though the person feels nothing because that is a survival mechanism the brain is using. If the person connects with their pain and the experience, it can become too overwhelming. So numbing is the outcome. Flat affect, a blank stare, these things usually happen right after. So the person seems to be in shock. They're just staring straight, you know, into the distance and they seem to be zoned out. Sometimes impulsive behaviors like gambling, overspending, extreme exercise, extreme sports. Sometimes the mind wants to recreate another seemingly threatening situation that it actually has control over. Reenactment. So you might find that people who are into daredevil activities and, and adrenaline junkies may have a history of trauma. Generalizing similar experiences. So for instance, if you nearly drowned in the sea, going to the pool can be traumatic for you as well. If you were attacked by a tall person in a black t-shirt, anytime you see a tall person in a black t-shirt, you might start to experience heart palpitations. You might have a physical reaction to them. Chronic illness builds up. It's unfortunate that a lot of victims of trauma will go on in life to develop chronic illnesses like hypertension, lifestyle disorders, substance abuse disorders, cancer is very common. I'll speak more about this, but this speaks a lot to the mind-body connection. We usually think, oh, medical health is on one end and mental health is on another. But 
really and truly there is such a a complex intertwined relationship with what happens to us mentally and psychologically and what happens to us physiologically. So it's very important that whenever we're taking care of ourselves, we look at our health in a very holistic way and not just mental health versus medical health. So having shared these things, let me just round up by talking about the interventions that are helpful. Always therapies at the top of that list. Now it's very important to know that regular talk therapy is not the same as trauma therapy. Yes, there is talk therapy and trauma therapy. However, if you are going to see a therapist or someone you know is going to see a therapist with trauma, be very mindful to inquire about trauma therapy. Not every therapist is equipped to do trauma therapy. There are specific therapies that are used for trauma. So trauma therapy is at the top of that list. And it often involves helping a person to learn to ground themselves, helping them to develop a sense of control in the moment, to be able to reframe their experience sometimes. But it's a very delicate process and it takes time. It's not something that you can do in two or three or four sessions. So please be mindful of this. Exposure therapy may be helpful and be very mindful. Exposure therapy literally has to do with exposing the individual to the thing or the situation that they found traumatic. So for instance, a person who almost drowned in the ocean may decide to do exposure therapy where they'll gradually be exposed to maybe the kid's swimming pool, then they move to the adult swimming pool till they're able to calm themselves down and maybe gradually work their way to being able to go back to the beach again. That's not the same for other types of therapy. So you can see how this won't work for physical or sexual abuse or some other type of traumatic event. Medication, as I mentioned before, there are so many other symptoms that pop up like insomnia, anxiety, depression, and all of these things. As I mentioned before, the normal coping tools we use on a day-to-day basis are not enough when you go through a significantly traumatic event. And so getting the extra help to get you to a point where you can start to function in a way that helps you to benefit from therapy may be needed. And so there are different types of medications that may be prescribed. There's no medication for trauma. There's medication for the effects and the symptoms. So there's medication for depression, for anxiety, for difficulty with sleep, difficulty with appetite, and so on and so forth. Mindfulness meditation is definitely very helpful with helping people to remain in the present. Because one of the interesting things about trauma is that Whenever you have the flashbacks, your body reacts as though it's happening to you again. And often people who have experienced trauma long term or even at once, it becomes difficult to be able to realize the difference between the present moment they're in and the fact that they are going through it again. Mindfulness meditation really helps with this. So this is another tool that can be very helpful that you can practice on your own, not just for trauma, but just for calming your mind, being present in the moment. It has long-term health benefits. So I recommend that to anyone and everyone who wants to try. And again, I think I've mentioned this before, it doesn't have any chanting. So anyone of any religion can practice it without worrying about violating their religious principles. And exercise, physical activity too, is very helpful because it helps to release pent-up energy, pent-up anxiety, and so on. So I want to wrap up by saying that a lot of the trauma that was and is being dismissed in our communities, like verbal abuse, 
talking to kids, insulting them and breaking them down with words just to motivate them or just to discipline them in quotes is actually unhealthy because most of us went through these things. We grew up, we normalized it. Sometimes we sit around with friends and we share stories about some of the extreme things our parents have said to us or done to us. And it seems like, oh, this is normal. But as you explore more, and this happens a lot with my clients, as you explore your life more, you begin to realize that a lot of the choices that you make in life, in friends, in partners, how you respond to the way people speak to you, a lot of it is as a result of the types of things that were said to you as a child. The beatings for discipline in quotes. I mean, think about it. Some some people have shared that their parents would punch them. Their parents would use like the metallic part of a belt. And really and truly, if you think about it, it does not teach discipline. It really just teaches a person to be afraid. It hurts them. How does the metallic part of a belt teach discipline? And a lot of our parents, through no fault of theirs, got it wrong. And I'm saying this categorically that they got it wrong. I am not saying don't use corporal punishment that is a personal decision, I am suggesting that that should be a last resort because if a child lies, beatings don't teach honesty. Beatings teach a person to be afraid of you. So in the absence of punishment, they can be dishonest. And as a sidebar, that's why we see a lot of our leaders do a lot of blatant things and not care because there's the absence of punishment. So these things are not okay. These things are not normal. And if you have children and it's something that you're doing and practicing, I'd like to encourage you. It's not because you're a bad person. These are things that were passed down to us by people that it was passed down to. Verbal abuse, emotional abuse, child hasn't done something right. Look at your face. Look at your legs like this. Look at your skin like this. Like, these things break down a person's self-esteem. And so you notice that if something is said to you at work or amongst a group of friends, you have such a strong reaction to it thinking that it's just because of what they said. But the child in you remembers what it feels like to have to hear these things. When it comes to sexual abuse, do not be ashamed if you're a victim. Do not hush someone who has been a victim. I am a victim and I'll talk about it in the episode about sexual abuse. Until date, I haven't told my parents. Now I know I will tell them because I've worked through it. I've done my healing. I've done my therapy. But I know some of you still may never be able to tell your parents or to tell your loved ones and that's okay. But what I do ask is that you seek help. If you have been through something traumatic, do not be ashamed about the experience you're having. You are not weak. You are actually having a normal reaction to a traumatic event. Anyone who goes through a traumatic event, it's normal for them to experience post-traumatic stress. So there's nothing abnormal about you. It's like if I take a sharp knife and I cut your skin, if you don't bleed, that's abnormal. Bleeding shows that you are human. If you're bleeding, get the necessary help that you need. Thank you for listening. And as always, I wish you unconditional love and peace.